It says this, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, first verse. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Would you guys read this with me? And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. What a great prayer. Aren't you glad for the Lord's prayer? You know, of all the things that Jesus did, all the things we read about in Scripture, the, the miraculous work, the healing of sickness, the setting people free from demonic spirit, spirits, the, the preaching of the kingdom and the announcement of the kingdom, telling parables, teaching parables, one of the things that we probably give way too little credit to was his life of prayer. Uh, Luke's gospel has keyed in on this many times as we've been making our way through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Luke has told us many times about Jesus spending time in prayer at his baptism and the choosing of the 12 at the transfiguration at times when he would just slip away and find times of prayer to himself. And, you know, we don't have the privilege in scripture so much of of hearing exactly what Jesus prayed. Like, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall, so to speak, and hear Jesus spending time with his Father in the place of prayer? We know there, there were many times when he had important things to do that he went to the place of prayer. Like, in the choosing of the 12, he spent the whole night in prayer, seeking the Father's will prior to uh, selecting the 12, but we don't know the specifics of that prayer. I mean, we know he was praying about who the disciples were to be, but the, the real details were not privy. And so here's the 12. You know, the 12 are always with Jesus. They, they see the miraculous things that he does. They see uh, the power displays, the miracles. They're in awe of his teaching. And it's interesting, they never say to Jesus, like, teach us how to preach, Jesus. Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. They say to Jesus, when they have the opportunity, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because I imagine observing his life, they knew this, that his teaching and his miraculous power was linked and was a result of his times of prayer and the times that he spent with the Father. So they said this to him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. So he shared with them what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Which is kind of funny. I mean, that's a name that we've given it, uh, which when you think about it, yeah, it's odd because Jesus wouldn't have prayed this prayer. Because this prayer contains things that Jesus personally never had to pray. Like, Jesus never had to say, Father, forgive me my sins. He didn't have to pray that. In fact, Jesus said this. He prayed this. He said, Father, forgive them their sins. They know not what they do. And so... We call this the Lord's Prayer, but it wasn't for him. This is a prayer for us. This is a prayer to teach those who are going to follow Jesus, who are going to pattern their lives after Jesus, are going to seek to learn from Jesus and be his disciples how to pray. This is a model prayer for us. And so one of the things that I notice when I read this prayer right away is like how short it is. Isn't it kind of odd? It's like, wow, you'd think it was like pages. Like they wrote a book, right? Teach us how to pray a whole book. It's on christianbookdistributors.com, and you can download it for your Kindle and all these things. No, it's just like a few sentences. Like, it didn't even take us five seconds to read corporately. 
We have this idea that prayer's got to be long, right? And sometimes we don't know, you know, what to pray or how to knock, you know, time off the clock. So we go, well, what, what do I do? And what we learn here, what do I do in the place of prayer? And what we learn here from Jesus is this, is that, that quality is more important than quantity. Now, I don't want to I don't want to downplay quantity because I believe in quantity in the place of prayer. I think quantity matters, but only when we understand that quality comes first. And Matthew also in his gospel records what's called the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's interesting that Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer is like a few sentences longer. It's probably the one, if you've got it memorized, it's the one that you have memorized, not Luke's account. But, it, but it's interesting that it's not identical in Matthew's gospel to Luke's gospel. There are slight variations and changes in, in the Lord's prayer. And it's telling us, the word of God's telling us, look at prayer. It's not a mindless formula. It's not just some repetitious thing that you repeat before the Father in heaven. No, we're, we're given examples here in scripture. So, you know, what are some things about the qualities of this prayer? We're going to spend a bit of time here this morning. Well, first, we see this. When you look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, we're to pray about what God wants before we pray about what we want. You know, think about prayer. Often prayer uh, begins with ourselves, but in this prayer, it begins with God, not ourselves. That's a good place to start when turning our focus in the place of prayer to God, to start with God. You know, sometimes we come to the place of prayer and it's like a trip to the grocery store, right? Got your shopping list, your little list that you're going to present before the Father in heaven. Say, God, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and then check, 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 and it's done. This is what I want from you, God. That's what we tell him in prayer. So the first thing Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer is this, is that it begins not with ourselves, but it begins with a focus on the fatherhood, on the Father. So here's point one, okay? Point one is going to come up on the screen. Three things I want to observe about uh, God, that we're to think about God when we pray. And the first one is this, his fatherhood. Which is interesting because when you think about all of the attributes that God has, there's lots of things that you could start with in prayer. Like you could start with the omnis. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. You could start with a long list of adjectives about the Father, when you come to the place of prayer, you know, and you could do it in a King James voice. <laughs> oh, loving Father, you know. Merciful, slow to anger, compassionate, faithful, and true. But Jesus just made it simple. He said this, when you come to the place of prayer, just say, Father. Father. I, I, I like that. This is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And Jesus said this, if you want to pray like I do, when you come into the presence of God, say, Father, Father, just that simple. You just say, Father. I I've read that prayer is like climbing onto the Father's knee. That's kind of a neat picture of prayer. So if you want to pray like I do, Jesus said, just come to him and say, Father, like a child coming to their father. You know, some people get hung up on the fatherhood of God. If you've kicked around this church for a long time, you know that that's a big pet peeve of mine. I, I, I get frustrated with that. I think, wow, that's so 1990s, man. Can we just get over this, like, hung up on God as my father stuff? 
Because if that's problematic for you, you need to know this. This is the perfect father. This is the good, good father. It's a, it's a very, you know, 90s thing to say, oh, I, I, I'm just hung up on the fatherhood of God. No, Jesus said this. When you turn your attention in the place of prayer to, the, to God, you say, Father. And the second thing is after you focus on his fatherhood is you're to focus on his holiness. See, this is the whole thing about the fatherhood of God. You and I have never known an earthly father about whom we can say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means be greatly revered. You deserve honor. I'm not associating you with my earthly father. You're God. We remember that our father is in heaven and he is holy. He's not like an earthly father with weaknesses and faults. You know, I always think this. I always think as a Christian, it's really necessary to see the faults and the weaknesses of your earthly father. Because he has a role that he cannot fulfill in your life. You have to see his weaknesses because only God can fulfill this role. Only the Father in heaven deserves to have said about his name, Hallowed be your name. He is without fault. He is without weakness. He is a Father who is holy. His name is holy. And he is to be held in awe. His name is to be held in awe, which is why when someone uses the name of the Lord in vain or uses the name of his son as a cuss or a swear word, it's such a painful thing for those who have put their hope in Jesus Christ. Because we say, hallowed be the name of the Father. We say, Father, may your name receive the reverence and honor that it is due. Hallowed be your name. Then the third thing Jesus says that we're to think about when it comes to the Lord in prayer is this, is his power, his kingdom. We're to pray, your kingdom come. That has to do with his reign, with his power to rule, his power to control. You know, you look around the world today, and it's clear the world is not under the government of God. Christians are called to live according to the governance of the Father according to his governance over us. But the world is not yet under that power. So we pray that his government would come. Your kingdom come. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus comes. How about you? Man, I am looking forward to the day when God's son comes, to the day when Jesus comes and he rules on this earth and the government of God is present. What a day that will be. And until that day, Jesus said, pray. Your kingdom come. And we want, as followers of Jesus, as those who are his disciples, we want to see the kingdom of God manifest in our own lives, in every part of our lives, God to exercise his rule and his governance over our thoughts, over our hearts, over our actions. We want him in charge of our lives until he comes and exerts his government over this world. So Jesus said this to his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. They said, well, he said, uh, prayer begins with praying what God wants. He wants his fatherhood to be enjoyed by his children. He wants his holiness to be revered and honored on the earth. He wants us to enter his kingdom and become his subjects. Then Jesus taught this, that when we've prayed that, we get to pray about our needs. 
When it comes to our needs, I, I just noticed this about this prayer. There, there are three things that we are told to pray for. But before we pray, before we look at those three things that we're told to pray for, I want to point out to you three things not mentioned. Here they are on your screen. Three things not mentioned, and it might surprise you. Health, wealth, and personal safety. Those actually aren't mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. It's amazing, actually, like in a church, often in churches, how much time is devoted to teaching such things. And those things, Jesus never even taught his disciples to pray about those things. When it comes to praying for our needs, those aren't on the list. But there are three things that every one of us needs every day. And Jesus said, you're to pray about these things. The first one is this, food. You need food, which is kind of hard to imagine for me. You know, I think about like my house, your house, and what our culture's like. I mean, you probably have cupboards with lots of food, fridges with food. Maybe you got a freezer full of food. And it's like, we don't function in a society where we don't have, you know, if we, ha if we don't have what we want, we just go to the grocery store and, and we buy it. But the day could come, some are saying is coming, when we might pray this prayer with real meaning, you know, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Father, we're asking you to provide. Uh, there's plenty of places in the world where believers make this their daily prayer. And this prayer, give us our daily bread, it's a prayer that teaches us to live one day at a time, to not get too far ahead, to not forget about the Lord. And I'm so thankful that, you know, we can pray to the Lord, Father, give us our daily bread. And we have a Father in heaven whom we see in the scripture, in the biblical accounts that teaches us he's able to care for the needs of his children. Even if he has to send bread from heaven. We need food to live. Without it, we die. So Jesus said, you can pray to the Father about your daily needs. Father, give us this day our daily bread. The second thing every one of us needs every day is forgiveness. In this text here, in this prayer from Jesus, I need forgiveness every day. How about you? And I need forgiveness every day. Look, we all know that when we come to Christ on the day of our salvation, we say, Jesus, I repent of my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me of these sins that those sins are atoned for through the blood of Christ, past, present, and even future uncommitted sins are forgiven. But Jesus taught Peter that a man can be washed and he still gets dust on his feet and he needs cleansing from the dust of this world. We need to ask for forgiveness daily of our sins. But it's interesting as Jesus talks about the forgiveness of his sins, he says there's a clause. There, there, there is a condition to your experience of the forgiveness of sins. He says, as you confess your sins, you must acknowledge that there are others in your life who need your forgiveness. Your heavenly father, Jesus actually teaches in prayer, appropriates to you forgiveness as you extend it to others. If you withhold, he withholds. That's a scary thing to me, isn't it to you? Man. He says this, you can't have God's forgiveness if you are holding on to resentment and grudges against others. It's kind of like this, you know, I was thinking about how to illustrate this. It's like between you and God is the son, Jesus, right? And the relationship to God happens through his son, Jesus. And through Jesus, the father dispenses to you forgiveness 
But if we take that picture again, Jesus is in the place of prayer between another person and the Father, the person against whom you hold resentment, is you. And forgiveness will not flow to you unless it flows through you. Forgiveness will not flow to you unless it flows through you. It's like an electrical circuit. God's the power. You're the light switch. The other person is the light. And the power won't flow unless the switch is turned on. And forgiveness will not flow, Jesus said in prayer, unless it flows through you. So food, forgiveness, the third thing, got three F's here this morning. Freedom. <laughs> People in our culture, we love to talk about freedom, don't we? I mean, for... For most people on this earth, for most people in our culture, in our country, the concept of freedom primarily has to do with the realm of politics. They desire political freedom. But that's not what Jesus meant by freedom. His freedom was not political. It had to do with the realm of the spirit and the realm of the moral. You and I need freedom daily in the spirit. We need freedom in our moral lives. We need freedom from temptation. Man. You could do to me whatever you want if I was free from temptation. Wouldn't you trade a lot of stuff if you could be totally free from temptation? We need freedom from the evil one. We need freedom from bondage to sin. We need freedom from ourselves. Man, we are slaves all the way around. You can be a slave to temptation. You can be a slave to sin. You can be enslaved to the evil one. You can be enslaved to yourself and your fleshly desires. And the Father wants to set you free. He wants you free from those things. So we pray, Lord, don't let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. Don't let me be pushed too far, Lord. Lord, I want to be free from shame. Free me from guilt. Free me from fear to live boldly for you. This is an interesting prayer. And this prayer is interesting in the sense that it begins with the Father in heaven. Matthew says that. And it concludes with you and I having to go out and live in this world empowered by the Spirit of God, living for the kingdom of God. And it's a challenge to live for God in this world, isn't it? It's a challenge. So we have to pray. We have to pray. We'll be here tonight at 7 praying. So the Lord's Prayer teaches us to come before our Father in heaven Acknowledge his name, and then when it turns to address our needs, it involves asking for food and forgiveness and freedom. You know, it makes me think this prayer is about asking. You know, that's like a child's relationship to their father. A child's relationship with a, with a parent involves a child asking for things that they cannot provide for themselves. Father, I actually can't provide this for myself, so I'm looking to you. So we come to the Father, but we have to ask for the right things. And if we ask for the right things, we can expect an answer. You know, I got this old plaque in our house. It's from my great-grandmother. It's in our kitchen. And it just says this, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. We don't pray to condition ourselves to just simply accept things as they are. No, we pray because we need God to change things. We need God to change things in our lives. We are asking God. And when we ask God, we are coming to the creator of the universe. We should expect that results will happen. You know, when you pray and results don't happen, 
When we ask for food and forgiveness and freedom, and we pray for his kingdom to come, and we pray for God to demonstrate his power, I'm telling you, things should happen, shouldn't they? We should not be conditioned to think they're not going to happen. The Father wants to answer the prayers of his children, so we should see as Christians, as followers of Jesus, unanswered prayer is a problem. It's a problem. The point of prayer is to get an answer. And so Jesus actually illustrates this with what he says next. He says this, uh, I'll say it this way, there's two hindrances or problems to receiving answers in prayer. What are the conditions to answered prayer? Well, one has to do with us, and one has to do with him. The first one that has to do with us is persistence. He says this, you have to be persistent in the place of prayer. Look at what Jesus says in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, back in the days of Jesus, when he was on earth, people went to bed early, you know. You weren't staying up on your phone. You weren't staying up watching whatever series on Netflix, okay. There was no electricity. When the sun went down, the lights were out, you know. You're not going to waste all your oil just uh, staying up, burning your lamp. No, you're going to go to bed. So most, for the most part, you know, people went to bed early. They got up early. That was the life of the average person, right? And people had to bake their bread daily, fresh, fresh bread. You made enough for each day. You didn't have any way to keep it. So you used up your bread each day, and each day involved baking fresh bread. And that is a great picture of prayer right there as Jesus is talking about prayer. It's like, it's like daily bread. Making daily bread. Well, this fella in the story from Jesus has an unexpected guest arrived and the host has nothing to give him. So he went to his neighbor and he asked, do you have some bread? But it was midnight. This is really inconvenient. The man and his whole family were sleeping. Could you imagine that? How maddening that would be if your neighbor came and knocked on your door at midnight to borrow some bread? You've been in bed for three hours already. Whole family's asleep. I say, you know, I'm not giving you bread, but how about a sandwich? A knuckle sandwich for waking me up, you knucklehead. <laughs> this man who was asking wasn't at all sensitive about the position of the sleeping man. Wasn't at all sensitive about his neighbor. He had a need and he needed provision for his situation. He needed help and he knocked on the door until he got bread. And Jesus is not saying that God's like a sleeping man. You know, you have to arouse him from sleep and twist his arm. No, he's teaching that if you really want answers in prayer, you have to be persistent. You go, you knock until you get it. Now, sometimes when you don't get an answer, it could be you're asking for the wrong thing, which is why we, we need to pass our prayers through the model of the Lord's prayer so that it directs us. We pass our requests through that model and we say, well, Am I all focused on wealth here? Is that what this is about? Am I all focused on my physical safety? Is that what this is about? Or is it food? Is it, is it freedom? Is it forgiveness? Are your prayers focused on the right things? 
Does your prayer begin with his fatherhood and his holiness and his power? And if so, then just keep on knocking. Keep on being persistent. Keep on asking until he answers. That's the human side of prayer. Be persistent. You know, it's like any, any child. When they come to their parent and they ask their parent for something, you know, like one of the ways you test their desire is to check their persistence. Like, I don't know. Hey, dad, can we go fishing? I say, oh, yeah. I'm thinking, well, that means, you know, a lot of work. Do this and go do that and get this ready and do that ready. And, you know, if the request is one and done, then don't worry about it. The desire really isn't that strong. But if persistence is there and the asking continues and continues, a parent wants to answer that, don't they? They want to respond to that. So as God's children, our, our responsibility in the place of prayer, church, is persistence. But the other condition to answered prayer has to do with God and how we perceive him. It's like, you know, sometimes we get all these perceptions about God. Like, is he willing to answer? Does God want to answer? Are his intentions towards me good? Or is he, is he stingy? Jesus tells us the Father is willing. Don't be reluctant. Look, at this is the second point. Conditions to answer prayer, know this. You have to believe this in your heart and mind by faith that God is willing. So don't be reluctant to ask. Check out verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, your, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow, that's an interesting transition, like moving from like just asking and receiving to Jesus specifically saying, actually, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You know, what Jesus is telling us is that God is willing to provide us good things, church. And one of the things that stops us in prayer is that, you know, we can be afraid of how God might answer. You know, we pray, God, I'm willing to do anything for you. Anything, Lord. Just don't make me move to Seashell, you know, something like that. You know, we always have these clauses in our prayer. Sorry, Seashell people. Okay. We can, we can say, you know, we're afraid to ask because we're worried that God's going to answer that one thing that we harbor in our hearts that we don't want an answer for. But what we find out here is that the Father is very willing to give good gifts. In fact, he's willing to give the greatest gift. He will allow his spirit to indwell you, to fill you. His very presence and his very power, his spirit, he will give to anyone who asks. I mean, what more could he give you? I mean, what more could he give you than to allow his spirit to indwell you and to empower you to live for him? You know, it's interesting that Jesus gives us his understanding of human beings here. He said this uh, um, in verse 13. If you then, who are evil. This was Jesus' understanding of human beings. He said this. He said, you're evil. But even you, an evil person, 
knows this, that if a child comes to you, your own child, you wouldn't give them something harmful. You would provide for them something good. If your child comes and asks you for bread, you give bread. You know, it's interesting about Jesus. Jesus never said people are basically good. He said they're evil. They need to be born again. They need to find forgiveness of sins. Jesus said this, a man came to him and called him good teacher. He said, why do you call me good? Only one is good. Only one is good. And so Jesus reveals that the father is willing to give to those who ask. He is willing to respond to those who will seek and knock. And he will give the greatest of all gifts. His spirit that can indwell you, can take up residence in your life and make you the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and empower you to live this life for Christ. So we should pray this. I mean, if there's one thing we should be asking for, Father, fill me with your spirit. Father, fill me with your spirit. You know, we get hung up on all sorts of little details in life. We get freaked out about this, freaked out about that. Look at if we're empowered by the spirit, what should we be afraid of? Father, I want to know the Holy Spirit's presence and power. This is why Luke's gospel is called the charismatic gospel. So there are two things that are conditions to us receiving in prayer. One has to do with us, and one has to do with our attitude towards God. And we're told, be persistent, and know that the Father is willing to answer and give good gifts. Now, it's interesting because the Holy Spirit is the connection here, and I think in this text, because Jesus moves from a conversation about prayer to dealing with an evil situation, a demonic spirit. And so it's like, it's like this text almost moves from prayer into spiritual warfare, which those relationship, the relationship between those two is tight. And how a Christian navigates this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Now, evil spirits, demons, don't have a body, right? We know this. They're spirits. They cannot operate in this world unless they have a host, unless they take up residence in someone's body, unless they can use someone else's hands and feet and mouth. And we're going to read about this in a few minutes here. The demons are, are restless, and they are wandering, and they are looking for someone to use. But thank God, Jesus Christ is stronger. Amen? And the Father is also looking for people, and he is looking for people that will be filled with his spirit and will allow their bodies to become his temple. Now, in this situation, the devil had made this man mute. He was unable to speak, which is interesting because the Holy Spirit always enables the tongue. He empowers a person to speak. We see that all over the scripture when a person is endued with power from on high, in particular in the book of Acts, the indwelling presence of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, enabled and empowered ordinary men and women who were followers of Jesus to open their mouths and to declare the truth of the gospel with great power. So Jesus sets this man free, and immediately what happens? His mouth opens. Because he wants to empower us to speak by his Spirit. Verse 15, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. 
And others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. The name of the name Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies. Did you ever read that book? Yeah, when you're in high school. It was a great book. Disturbing, though. See what happens with human beings when they're left alone to manage themselves. Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies. Jesus says this, if Satan is fighting against himself, he's finished. It's foolish for you to suggest that I'm doing these things by his power. And what's amazing is these people could not tell. This is a lot like our culture. They could not tell the difference between right and wrong. They were actually crediting the work of God to the devil, which is blasphemy. And Jesus said this, what I did here today, what you've seen, it's by the finger of God. In other words, he said, it takes such little strength for me to do this. It's like the smallest power of God's kingdom to deal with an evil spirit. And if I do this by the finger of God, then you should recognize the kingdom of God has come among you. Yeah, if you want to do a cool study in scripture, just go home this afternoon. Look up finger of God and see what you discover. It's amazing that Jesus uses this term. If I do these things by the finger of God, the kingdom of God is among you. See, Jesus says this, that a, that a man will guard that which belongs to him. But when someone comes along who's stronger, in this story here, the strong man is the devil. The strong man will take from the weaker. So the strong man is the devil who's held this person in captive, but Jesus is stronger. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But, once, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he, is, he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus has moved the conversation from prayer to spiritual warfare. And so I want to give you two, we'll wrap up here, two dangers in spiritual warfare. The first one is this. You cannot remain neutral. You can't be like, uh, sorry, my Swedish friends, Sweden, World War II, you know, Finland today. These diff there's, no, there's no being neutral, Jesus said. There's no being neutral. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When we speak about spiritual warfare, we're not talking about physical things, right? We're talking about spiritual things, not human things, supernatural things. And you know, a person might say, maybe you've heard someone say this, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not against God. Jesus said this, you can't sit on the fence. When it comes to spiritual things, you cannot sit on the fence. You can't pretend to play around in the middle. Unless you clearly line up with Christ, you're against him. Unless you clearly line up with Christ, you are against him. You cannot play the neutral game. 
If you don't make a decision for Jesus, you are against him. And if you're seeking to be filled with the Holy if you're uh, sorry, if you're not seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I would say this, you're not lined up with Jesus. And if you're not lined up with Jesus, he said this, you're on the side of evil. Whether you realize it or not, you're playing the devil's game. There's no neutral. There's no neutral. That's why, like the apostles and those who went before us, we can say from the pulpit of Jesus' church, be reconciled to God through Christ. The second danger in spiritual warfare is this. You can't remain empty. You cannot remain empty. Look at this, verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. See, Jesus said this, a man has to be filled with something. A human being has to be filled with something. Human nature abhors a vacuum. Your life will be filled with something. An empty life, Jesus said, will be filled with something. He said this, that an empty life is more vulnerable than a life that is filled. You know, sometimes we look around this world. I don't, I don't know about you. I, I hope this resonates with you. I think it does. But sometimes we look around this world and, and we can clearly identify. We go, that, we see, see that person? That person would make a great Christian. You ever think that about people? You're like your neighbor or somebody in your life. You're like, that guy's, that guy's like seems more like Jesus than I do, you know? What's with that person? Because that person, you know, doesn't do this and they don't do that. And they seem to live such a God-honoring life, but they don't confess Christ. But look, at I want to remind you this morning, because a person doesn't do this or doesn't do that, don't think that they are a better person or that they are safe. You know, when you clean up your life, you could go about all the work yourself to clean up your life and, and you could cast out things that the church or the world would call sin, the things that God would call sin. And then when your life is empty, in comes something. Pride. You become full of pride. All sorts of things can come in when your life is looking like it's cleaned up. I mean, don't think that you can clean up your life on your own. You clean up your life and something else will come in. That's what Jesus says. And I might suggest to you, actually, I'm going to say this. I, I would suggest that the person in the most dangerous spiritual state in this world is the one who looks like their life is cleaned up. I mean, the one whose life looks like it's a disaster, I mean, they know their life is a disaster without Jesus. But if their life looks like it's cleaned up and they don't have Christ, that's a very dangerous place in this life because the empty house has been filled with something. It might have been the appearance of good, but something has filled the vacuum and has deceived them to believe that they are righteous before God without Christ. And without him, there is no righteousness. There's only one hope. 
There's only one hope for men and women. Not that we reform our own lives, but that we be regenerated by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. Born again. Amen, church? Made new. Regenerated. The old life has passed away and the new life has come. In Christ, all things are new. May we be filled with his spirit. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God give you a greater affection for the things of God. Let the Spirit of God give you a greater affection for the place of prayer, for time in God's Word, for a, a longing for His kingdom, for the presence of Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to do for us, to fill us with His Spirit. And in this world, oh, I came across this quote, the respectable person has always been the most difficult to bring to conversion in Christ. Now, verse 27 says this, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. She said, wow, the womb that gave you birth, Jesus. Wow, what a, what a blessing it would be to be that person. And Jesus said this, what are you talking about? What's better? To give birth to me or to receive the spirit of Jesus. True blessedness comes from hearing my word. Hearing God's word and obeying it. And there you will find victory, church. Blessed are those, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So let's be men and women of prayer. Let's be men and women who recognize the place of spiritual warfare and what God is calling us to. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite you guys. We're going to pray. And we'll dismiss you out to this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that Jesus taught us about prayer. And so in prayer this morning, we just say, Father, like children, Father, we trust you. Father, we know that you're good. Father, this morning we say, hallowed be your name. Father, we set our hearts and minds to think about your holiness. To think about how you are of heaven and not of this earth. That you are set apart from mankind and you're not like our earthly fathers. You're our heavenly father. Father, we pray that your kingdom would come in Jesus' name. Jesus, may the kingdom of your Father come into our lives. May it come into our church. May it come into this community. We pray, Father, that, that your rule would be exerted over every area of our hearts and lives. Father, we need from you daily bread. Every day, Father, we need to experience your presence and the life that comes from you. Father, we ask you to meet the needs, our provisions that we need for every day. Lord, you know the needs of every person here this morning. We pray, God, that you would show supernatural provision in their lives. Father, we need you to forgive us. Forgive us our sins. Lord, help us to walk in forgiveness to those against whom we're holding grudges and 
resentment. Father, before you, we forgive them in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you would help us to live freer and freer in the forgiveness that you give us through your son Christ. Father, we ask for freedom this morning. In our own lives, would you set us free from temptations? Would you set us free from besetting sins? Would you set us free from the things that we've given ourselves to? Lord, forgive us and bring freedom. Lord, I pray for those that are packing shame this morning that the blood of Jesus would just wash it away, that we would know true freedom, that we would know spiritual and moral freedom. Lord, we pray that we would not love sin, but that we would love things of righteousness. And so, Father, bring your freedom in our lives. And to you belongs all the glory and all the honor and all the power. And all God's people said in Jesus' name. Amen.